chapter 39, beginning at verse 6. This is the story, another part of the story, of Joseph, the twelfth son of Jacob. Joseph was a show-off. Earlier in the story, he says to his eleven brothers, God has shown me special favour. Last night I dreamed the sun and the moon and the stars all bowed down to me. Did they hate him? They hated him so much that they decided to kill him. So they captured him and threw him into an animal pit. Instead of killing him, they thought, well, we'll leave him there. The animals can do the rest. Fortunately for Joseph, a band of Ishmaelites came along and took him out and sold him to Potiphar, who was captain of the guard in the Egyptian household. And he did very well as a comptroller of everything that Potiphar had, goods and chattels, etc. But didn't do so well with Mrs. Potiphar. So, beginning at verse 6. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had, with Joseph in charge. He didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while his master's wife took notice of him and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, he called her household servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slaves treat me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. This is the word of the Lord.
Reading is from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, and can be found on page 969 of your Bibles. Salt and light, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. There we go. How is everyone? Good? Well, I wasn't going to mention the football all weekend, but um, I'm an Arsenal fan. So uh, I'm going to start with a couple of questions, particularly pertinent to Liverpool fans. When the bottom of your world drops out and starts to crumble, what do you do? Where do you turn when you find yourself in the darkest of places? Let's pray. Almighty God, please may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. Well, let's try and step into this 17-year-old shoes just for a moment. The first thing to say about this story is that God uses messed up families. And Joseph's in a pretty messy family situation. I wonder if you can relate to that. I certainly can. Remember who Joseph was. He was the grandson of Abraham. Sorry, the great-grandson. Abraham was his great-granddad, and God had made some amazing promises to his great-granddad in Genesis chapter 12, promises that God would be with him, that his name would be great, that he'd be a blessing, and all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Now, what do I mean by messy family? Well, Jacob, Joseph's father, has got four ladies on the go at the same time. Not only that, he's got 12 sons from these four wives. He's got a favorite wife, who's beautiful, and her form is lovely, we're told, in Genesis 29, verse 17. He's got a favorite son, too, which was alluded to uh, by Keith for us. Now, reading in Genesis 37, verse 3, he's more loved than any of the other sons. Now, that's got to cause some issues in and of itself, hasn't it? And it does. And so to rub salt into the wound... God gives Joseph a couple of grand dreams. The first one is this, that God has made Joseph to be like a mighty sheath. And all of his other brothers are like 12 small sheaves around him. The second dream was that he's the center of the universe. His mum and dad, the sun and the moon, well, they're there, they're bowing down to him. And his brothers, well, they're just like the stars bowing down before him. How awesome is that dream for me, Joseph says and thinks. I dreamed a dream. I mean, what a great speech to start off with him. Now, I know what you're thinking. 
he should have read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. Joseph clearly missed out on chapter 6, which is make the other people feel important and do it with sincerity of heart as well. And well, you know the story. The brothers are outraged. They're sold into slavery. Uh, Joseph sold into slavery. They concoct this plan to get rid of him. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 39, and he's taken uh, away from his hometown uh, down to the land of the rich and famous, to Egypt, the superpower of the day. He's miles away from home. Just picture the scene, him being carted along the dusty, rugged tracks down to Egypt, seeing the newly built pyramids in the distance, the unfamiliar scents and smells that are going on all around him as the sun god Ra is being worshipped. And at night, the, uh, the female goddess Nuet is being worshipped along with the pharaoh. And here comes God's man, and what an entrance it is into Egypt as a slave. It's, he's fresh meat and fresh meat for the picking. He's prodded and poked and inspected. Is he the kind of slave that I want to take home? I can only imagine how overwhelming this situation would have been for this teenager. A new land, an unknown language, uh, not known by anyone, no friends, no security, and up for sale. And yet the overriding message we get in Genesis 39, which is there from the beginning, if you turn to verse 2, and all the way through our reading, is that the Lord was with Joseph. Again, we see that there in verse 3. The Lord was with him, and uh, the Lord gave him success in everything he did. It's there in verse 21. The Lord's with him even in prison. And in verse 23, the Lord's with Joseph and gave him success in all that he did. Joseph is clearly God's man, uh, and Joseph has now been purchased by Potiphar, the captain of the guard under Pharaoh. And here's my main point for us for today. It's this. God tests the man he uses, and God uses the man he tests. So for the Christian here this morning, I hope this is really reassuring for you. That is, when you became a Christian, did you notice just how much harder life became? There's a cost, isn't there, to following the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Joseph could walk off the pages of Scripture and speak to each one of us this morning, he'd say, setbacks and hardships and persecutions and disappointments and trials and temptations and injustices, well, they're all part of the Christian life. That's normal. That's the everyday experience for the Christian. Now, that's such an important lesson for us to take on board for God tests the man and woman he uses, God uses the women and men that he tests. And if we fail to get this, well, then we'll fall at the first hurdle. We'll turn our back on God, or we'll fall into self-pity. We'll be bent in on ourselves. Life's not meant to be like this. I'm meant to be retired at 40, 2.4 children, the second home in the sun, uh, and yet, why is this happening to me? We could ask. No security, no safety. I'm all alone uh, in this. Well, just get this for a moment. From all the people that were in the family of the promise, 
our camera lens is zoomed in on Joseph. We're focused in on this son inheriting the blessing. And what does that picture look like? Well, verse 2, the Lord's with Joseph, and he became successful. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Verse 4, Joseph finds favor with his master. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, does that remind us of anything? It reminds us of the great promises that God had made to his great-granddad, to Abraham. Promises to be with you and to bless you, to make your name great, and to make those around you a blessing as well. And yet, we see that he's a slave. And at the end of our reading, he finds himself in prison. So what's going on here? God tests the man he uses. God uses the man he tests. We've got to catch this. On the one hand, Joseph has God's favor and his blessing. And on the other hand, well, he endures difficulty and hardships and disappointments and trials and temptations. Do we see that? And that's the pattern of the blessed life. That is the Christian life. So having God's presence with you does not mean that you and I are going to be excluded from suffering and temptation in this life. In fact, James chapter 1 puts it like this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God's promised to those who love him. That word test carries with it the idea of proving we're to think the metal worker and working harder at metal. Uh, so like the metal itself is being kind of tested and tried, uh, to see that what's there is genuine and can be used by the metal worker. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 puts it like this. For a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, but these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, when Meghan Markle got her wedding ring last week, right, it was a beautiful ring that was put on her finger. And that ring was made out of Welsh gold. Did you know that? It was Welsh gold that went onto uh, her, her wedding uh, uh, finger. And the jeweler would have spent hours and hours at work slaving away to make this ring something really special. The gold would have been heated up to 1,064 degrees centigrade. Uh, you've got to stress it to prove it, uh, apparently. And it's then got to be moldable and cast and then filed and then polished and then polished and filed some more before it's going to be beautiful. And then probably loads more stuff's got to happen to the gold before it's going to be ready to be turned into this wonderful ring that's going to be then put on her finger. But it's a great question for us to ask this morning. Are we moldable? And are we being molded by God through what we're going through at the moment? And that's what was happening for Joseph at this point in our story, actually. Do you think God was perhaps bringing this overconfident teenager to his knees? Well, I do too. And much of what Joseph endured was way beyond his control. You can't choose what family you're born into, can you? Um, and, and kind of, in many ways, he's passive. 
He's passive in this story. He's sold into slavery. He's bought by Potiphar. Um, and scratch the surface, we can see God and his divine hand at work uh, in his life through his divinely appointed circumstances. God's man is right where God wants him in this story. And God is at work in him, proving his faith to be genuine. And that's the pattern that we see all the way through the Old Testament. We can start with Adam, or we could start kind of after the Exodus. God's proving his people in the wilderness, and they were found wanting. God tested his kings, and all of them were found wanted. God tested Job through his suffering. When everyone's saying to Job, look, Job, just curse God and die. He doesn't. He remains faithful uh, and stays uh, with God. And so we're looking for one to come who's going to be faithful when he's tested. And we're asking the question, is that one Joseph? Now this poor lad, he's in a difficult situation, isn't he? He's brought into this household, and Potiphar's wife, the nymphomaniac, well, she's turned her gaze towards this young boy. Clearly, he's got the gorgeous gene from his mother. Verse 6 tells us, that he's well-built and handsome. Uh, If you were to be kind of using gym language, he's stacked and shredded, he's ripped, he's good-looking. And perhaps what makes him even more attractive is his rise up the ranks to power. Look at verse 8. Everything is under Joseph's care. He's the household manager. Verse 9, he reaches the top of the food chain. And, well, this woman, she cannot resist him any longer. Verse 7, come to bed with me. But he says no in verse 8. I mean, how embarrassing to be turned down by your slave. That's an embarrassing way to be treated. Verse 10, she's persistent. Day after day after day. Joseph, come and have sex with me. Then at the end of verse 10, she changes tact. Joseph, just come and spend time with me, would you? Just come and hang out with me for a while. You can imagine Joseph, can't you, kind of working away at the desk, doing the accounts, and kind of Potiphar's wife just kind of leaning over him with the low-cut sundress. Come and spend some time with me. Put the books to one side. Or coming out of the swimming pool, and Joseph, pass me, your, pass me the robe, would you, uh, to kind of put on after being in the water. Come and spend some time picking some flowers behind the walled garden, just you and me. It's sexual temptation. It's day after day, it's obvious, and it's subtle, but it's always alluring. And it's a sexual temptation that no one is going to know about. I'll get away with it. I'm miles away from home, I'm in a different postcode. Well, the thing with this kind of temptation is this. You never see it coming. You never see it coming. But look at the steps Joseph took. Look at verse 9b. Uh, He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He preached to himself. My master, he's my master and you're his wife. You're not my wife. You're his wife. He's put me in, in charge. He's entrusted you to my care. You're not my wife. He says, this is a sin against God. I can't do this. Day after day, no matter how high the hormones would have been raging, In this teenager, he preaches to himself, I'm not going to do this. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Verse 11, 
One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants were inside. He's all alone. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He made a run for it. He put distance between himself and between the temptation that he was enduring. Now, perhaps that's a particular word for someone here this morning, flirting with this kind of danger. Be careful, says Joseph. Perhaps there's a work colleague who's married, flirting with you. Maybe someone down at the gym, and you're married, and you're seeing this person. Run from it, Joseph says. And it's not cowardice to run, actually, it's, it's courageous and commendable. Now, here's the rub. Joseph does the right thing. He preaches to himself. He puts distance. He runs from his sin, and yet he endures setbacks and hardships and disappointments and trials and temptations and injustices. And at the end of the account, he ends up behind bars in prison. But, verse 21, the Lord's still with him. The Lord's with him even though he's going through these difficulties. He's showing him kindness and favor in the eyes of men. God tests the man he uses. God uses the man he tests. Mel and I went round to um, Ruth and Joss's house last week. They cooked us up a lovely uh, roast chicken dinner. It was gorgeous. And um, I realized just how bad an education that I'm giving my children because Joss came out and bought with him a cassette tape. Now, none of my kids had ever seen a cassette tape. They had no idea how you could put music on this cassette tape. And uh, it got me thinking about kind of older technology. Um, do you remember those kind of cameras that you used to get that you wound up, I'm sure, you remember these cameras. You probably still use one. You know, you, you, you kind of went down to Boots the Chemist and you could buy a camera that, that kind of had 12 pictures on a, on a kind of little, little reel. And, and you'd be really careful about using your camera to make sure you take the best pictures that you could. And then what was amazing was when, it, when, when the technology got there, you could buy one of these disposable cameras with 24 pictures. I mean, that was incredible, wasn't it? And then you took your camera with your pictures on, you took it down to the local kind of developer. For us, it was Boots the Chemist. And it was there for days, and they'd have this. And you'd be thinking, what are my photos going to be like? I'm sure they're going to be great. You'd just non-stop thinking about your pictures. And then you'd go back and you'd kind of see them, but they've been through a process. They've been into a dark room. They've been developed. They've kind of the picture that's been there comes out. The image comes to the forefront. There's a kind of, there's a time of waiting. There's a kind of testing. There's a proving that goes on. And you know, the same is for us. There's a time of testing and trying and soaking through the darkness sometimes to see what's really there, to see what's really there. And then there's the joy of really seeing. I want to ask you this question. How is God developing you at the moment? How is God developing you? And are you being proved faithful in how God is testing you? at the moment? Or is what you're going through actually turning you in on yourself and turning you away from God? Maybe you are in the thick of it, but do you know what? The Bible never says to look to Joseph. We're not called to ask, what would Joseph do? We're to ask about the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph points beyond himself to Jesus, the one who passed every test. The Bible says, there is a man who knew no sin and there was no deceit 
uh, in his mouth. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Amen? The Lord Jesus was supremely tested and never found wanting. Remember, he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan through Peter uh, and in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cried out, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then ultimately on the cross, as he cries out, it is finished. So if you and I are going to successfully navigate through life, well, we need to be developed through the darkness and not crushed by it. And we do that not by following an abstract set of principles, but in a personal relationship with the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross in our place for our sin, bearing the punishment that each one of us rightly deserves to bring us back to God so we can have that relationship. Now, maybe there is someone here gripped by sexual sin. Perhaps you feel you're right in the battle of something at the moment. Perhaps you feel like giving up on your Christian faith. Or maybe, maybe this is you, maybe the Lord has enabled you to see something this morning, something in your life, a hardship that you know is just in front of you. Maybe he's preparing you to be ready for dealing with that difficult day ahead. Well, in any of those examples, the application is exactly the same for each and every one of us. Zoom the lens into focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Zoom in on the one who was cast out into utter darkness on the cross for us so that we would never be. Zoom in on him, the one who brings us closer than we ever dared to dream. Zoom in on the one who develops us and encourages us to preach to our souls, to put distance between temptation and to run away from our sin and run towards him. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord God, whatever it is that we're going through at the moment, we pray that you would be developing each one of us. Would you prove our faith to be genuine? Would you help us to cling to the cross? Help us to cling to the Lord Jesus? Lord, help us to preach to our souls, to put distance between temptation and to run to you. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.